Well, good morning, E3. I'm glad to be here. My name is Sam, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to speak with you this morning. I've really been enjoying this series, Campfire Stories, and I actually just got back from camping with my son, Mark, this past weekend. And there's something about being out uh, at a campfire that just kind of slows things down, right? I mean, Mark and I sat around, we talked without interruption from technology about whatever we wanted to and just watched the campfire burn. And people that were at other campsites around were doing the same thing, kind of sitting in the round, talking to each other, watching the campfire. And there's something kind of primitive about that. It takes us back to our roots, this quiet and present and peaceful experience of being able to enjoy your surroundings and just have like real talk and downtime with your family and friends. And I love the parables of Jesus, his campfire stories, and the messages that they convey to us. It's one of the ways that Jesus kind of does real talk with us as his children. And the best thing about it is that everybody loves a good story, right? The parables are fun. They're entertaining. They're shocking. They teach us about God, but they're couched in some kind of maybe some last minute twist or uh, bombastic idea that usually gets our attention. Or maybe it's couched in some type of horror theme while we sit there at our own campfire and shiver while God tells us a story. But there's also this element in the parables that we often don't pick up on, and that's humor. Humor. And we're going to be touching on that today in the parable of the persistent widow. So before we get to that, let's talk about humor in the Bible as a whole. Okay? Jesus actually says some really, really funny stuff in the Gospels. Some of it's kind of lost on us because it references current events at the time or uh, it requires some type of visual imagery that we may not have access to. But some of Jesus's comedy sketches are things that we've been conditioned to take too seriously. So we just, we, we don't understand them or we, we miss what's going on there when really they're supposed to be memorable because of that humor. They're supposed to stick with us because it's a funny story or a funny image. Jesus oftentimes takes a page out of the Seinfeld book. He focuses on ordinary mundane things that are absurd or maybe there's some type of irony and he likes to poke fun of people who take themselves and their positions too seriously, kind of like we do today when we talk to friends. So a great example of this is in the Sermon on the Mount. And in there, there's this super judgy guy that's looking down on everyone, right? Super self-righteous. And Jesus says that person is like someone walking over to his friend to get a speck out of uh, his eye to rescue him or save him from this little speck in his eye that's causing his eye to water when that guy has a tree trunk in his own eye and he runs into the wall trying to save his friend. I mean, you could think of Seinfeld and his opening monologue on a show talking about this. You know, have you seen this guy? What's the deal with the guy with the tree trunk in his eye? And he's going to help this guy? Come on, don't be that guy, right? <laughs> and you could see Seinfeld saying something just like that. And so the Bible is full of quips and wisecracks like that. And I'm sure Jesus moved around when he would tell these stories and he would act things out like the guy with the tree trunk in his eye trying to get to his friend. He'd be like, oh, yes, let me come over there. Oh, okay, I'll be there to help you in just a minute. Let me get through this doorway. OK, I'll be right there. All right, I'm right there. I'll be in a, in a minute. OK, I haven't never done this before. I'll be there. Hold on. Hold on. I'm going to come rescue you. Right. It's funny. It's supposed to be funny. Or the idea of a camel with an image of uh, 
going through the eye of a needle and what that might have looked like, you know, all those kinds of things. And so it's okay to laugh at those ideas. I do because I see myself in that. I've been the tree trunk guy. I've also been the guy with the speck. And so Jesus would have made fun of me a lot, I imagine, right? So quick sidebar here, okay? Humorless Christians who take themselves too seriously, they're the worst. They're the worst. There's a late Welsh Calvinist preacher named Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he taught at Westminster Chapel for years and read a lot of books and, and did a lot of sermons. And I was reading one day a book about depression that he wrote. And he said something that really stuck with me and helped me with this idea about being a humorless Christian. He said, it's one thing to be upset about sin. It's another thing to be completely morbid about it. In other words, understand the reality of what you face, but don't let it ruin your day. And don't ruin everybody else's day with things that you're worried about. Jesus, Jerry Seinfeld, Martin Lloyd-Jones, they would all say, don't be that guy. Please don't be that guy. Okay, back to the parable of the persistent widow. So here we have an interesting setup. We have a judge who, by all accounts, is the opposite of what a judge should be. So here comes the quick but slightly boring history lesson that we need to do. Okay, are you ready? Okay, here it comes. In the Old Testament, in the book of Joshua and Judges, back there, judges were seen as deliverers whom God raised up to defeat tribal attacks that the Israelites faced from people like the Philistines or the Amalekites. They were more like warriors or, or people that would lead an army. But over time, as legal systems begin to codify, begin to unify, begin to standardize under Greek and Roman rule, particularly, judges at the time of Jesus began to act similar to what we might experience today. A judge who is impartial and decides how to impartially interpret and apply that law. So enter this judge. This judge, there were only two basic rules for a righteous judge at that time, and that was respect God with your judgments and then treat people fairly. Don't treat people like dirt. Those are the two basic ones. Pretty basic, right? Pretty easy to pick up on. Well, this guy, this judge, was the opposite of that. He was the bribe king of cronyism in that region. That's what he's described as in this parable. He would decide for whoever paid him the most. He did not fear God, so he, there was no moral reason for him to decide justly. And it also says that he feared no humans. He did not fear what people thought about him. So in other words, in this heavy honor and shame-based Eastern culture of Judaism at the time, you couldn't shame this guy into doing the right thing, even if you wanted to. This judge thought he was untouchable. He thought he was untouchable, and this is who this widow was dealing with. So the widow could not plead her case on the grounds of justice with this judge. She also did not have any representation as a widow. So normally at this time and in this culture, uh, a man or a, particularly a relative, an uncle, a father, or uh, a, a brother or a husband normally in this case, but not in, in her case as a widow, would have to accompany her to meet with this judge to plead the case. But her plight was such that she had absolutely nobody. So it was just her pleading her case against this judge. So she had to go a different route. She had to annoy this judge so much 
that he would give into her demands just based off the fact that he didn't want to be annoyed anymore. This widow had to go straight up Bob Wiley on this judge. Now, you may not know who Bob Wiley is, but I promise you've met Bob Wiley many, many times. They may be in your family. They may be at your work. They may be a a random friend. Bob Wiley is a character that Bill Murray played in the 90s movie, What About Bob, if you've seen that movie. Now, Bob is the patient of this guy named Leo Marvin, and that is played by Richard Dreyfuss, who is one of the most prickly straight men ever to exist in Hollywood, right? So you've got Bill Murray playing Bob Wiley being uh, crazily annoying, and you've got Richard Dreyfuss being his normal uptight self. And so this movie is every therapist's worst nightmare. A patient that won't leave them alone ingratiates themselves into the therapist's family and follows them around. Now, Bob's biggest crime, Bob's pretty harmless, honestly. Bob's biggest crime is that he is a serial annoyer. He is annoying and very, very, very annoying at that throughout the entire movie. This man lives in a world of faux pas and lack of social graces and cannot read one social clue when everybody's telling him to get lost. He just doesn't get it. He naturally does the opposite of what people want him to do. He's clueless. And what ensues in this movie is hilarity after that. The man literally destroys the therapist's life while he crashes every boundary possible in uh, in his in his world there. It's a fantastic movie. It's horrible to watch, but it's hilarious at the same time. So here's a clip from the end of the movie where Leo is just losing his mind at wanting Bob to leave, and Bob cannot understand what's going on. He just does not he just does not get it. Watch this clip. Here's the one who made it happen. Dr. Leo Marvin. Dr. Leo Marvin. Get out. No, we won't get out. We won't. You deserve it. I mean, get out. Get out! Is it something I said? You've ruined my life! You've ruined my career. You've ruined my book. You turned a perfectly peaceful house into an insane asylum. Get out! Daddy! My God, Leo, what's gotten into you? It was a disaster, Faye! No, it wasn't. You were wonderful, you sweetie. You fine, Dad. Yeah. Why'd you need to kick Bob out of the house? You think he's gone? He's not gone. That's the whole point. He's never gone! Is this some radical new therapy? You see? How fantastic is that? He never leaves, no matter what, right? It's a hilarious movie. So in this parable, this widow must resort to the same type of tactic, annoying this judge so badly that he caves in and does the right or the just thing. Now, we shouldn't have to do things like this, right? But I imagine all of us have been put in a situation like this, where we had to strong arm someone into doing what everybody already knows is the right thing to do, but they won't do it on their own without a little help from someone else being annoying, right? So in the Jewish context of the time, this was a common theme among the rabbis of the day. There are lots of humorous short stories about persistence and dogged tenacity. There are life lessons about doing whatever it takes to reach your goal. 
you know, today we have life coaches to kind of amp us up to get us to do stuff. But back then we had stories that celebrated chutzpah, the fearless will to achieve. So for example, Rabbi Eliezer tells this parable. He says, once upon a time, there was this king who had two daughters. One daughter was tenacious, annoyingly so, in order to get what she wants. And the other one is kind and genteel and, and gracious. So when the tenacious daughter comes to the judge, or excuse me, comes to the king to ask him for something, the king immediately says, sure, whatever you want. I just don't want to argue with it here. You can have what you want. There you go. There it is. You can have it. He immediately gives her what he wants. But when the gracious and kind daughter comes to him, he draws out his dealings with her so that she rarely gets what she wants because he enjoys spending time with her. And there's the irony, the end, <laughs> right? So the idea is it's this humorous take on human nature, authority figures, and what it actually takes to get what you want. And sometimes what you think you need to do to get what you want is not always what you need to do to get what you want. But the most famous and hilarious example of tenacity and persistence chutzpah in Jewish literature is this guy named Honey the Circle Drawer. Honey the Circle Drawer. Now Honey was this guy who knew what he wanted and was not afraid to get it or ask for it, and that included getting it from God if he needed to. So the story goes, one day Honey decides to pray for rain since the crops are failing and people are complaining. So Honey prays. God does not answer Honey's prayer for rain. So Honey decides to create a standoff with God and he draws a circle in the dirt, stands in the circle, puts his finger up to the sky and points at God and says that God, I will not get out of this circle until you make it rain. I'm going to stand here in a standoff like a petulant child. So God obliges. God playfully sends a little sprinkle, a little mist down for Honey to say, there you go. Does that do it? But Honey doesn't think that's very funny, and he certainly doesn't think that's good enough. So he says to God, God, that's not what I'm looking for. The rain I'm looking for here is to, quote, fill cisterns, pits, and caverns, unquote. And so God, passively aggressive, says, oh, you want me to fill caverns for you? Okay, here's a flash flood. And so God dumps rain all over the place to fill up caverns probably thinking, I'll show this kid. He doesn't know who he's messing with. But Honey pipes up again in the middle of this because Honey never stops talking, right? That's the deal. He's tenacious. He says, God, come on. You know that's not what I'm asking for. I'm asking for reign of, quote, goodwill, blessing, and graciousness. So God says, okay, <laughs> and scales back the rain to a moderate amount that soaks in the ground for a good long time. Now, this is great. Everyone's happy until it rains for so long, for so many days, that people are starting to have to climb up the Temple Mount to get out of the water. So a good thing now becomes a new problem. So then everybody starts begging Honey to ask God to make it stop raining. But Honey is still so stubborn that he says, nope, I'm not going to ask God to make it stop raining until it gets so high that it reaches the highest point in this region. And when the water covers the top of that, then I'll tell God to stop the rain. The end. That's the end of the story, right? Fun little parable, right? Full of humor, full of life. And a great treatment of God with these kind of human elements of first being playfully coy, 
right? And then showing his full power in the, in the flood, but then being gracious to provide for his people in the end. It's a good little campfire story, a good little campfire story. And it tells us several things. It tells us that God is fun and that God is playful and that God likes interacting with us. He does. And then Honey teaches us that we should ask for what we need. And we should not be afraid to ask on other people's behalf as well. So back to the persistent widow story. What Jesus does with this story is very similar to those other rabbinical parables that we just talked about that were circulating at the time. Once again, this widow has no influence or worldly clout to help her win over this judge with their social standing or maybe with their money. So all she has, the only weapons that she has to get her way is persistence and nerve and making a scene in public. And so that's what she begins to do. She turns the situation on its head in a shrewd way. So rather than appeal to the judge's common decency, which we have established he has none, she appeals to his selfishness in order to get an unjust judge to act justly. She starts her plan by finding this judge, stalking him, seeking him out wherever he may be and accosting him continually in public and in private. She never leaves him alone. She gets louder and more urgent every time she runs into him wherever she could be. Now, can you imagine this judge trying to calm the widow down? It's like, shh, 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 shh. people are going to stop, 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 stop. People are going to hear, you know, come on, come on. We're out in the public. We're in the mall, right? Come on. We're out in public. Don't do that. All right. So she goes straight up Bob on this guy. She annoys him to death. She does. And that's when he begins to realize that his selfish desire for peace is now greater than whatever amount of bribe money he took to ignore her before that. So she's turned the situation on its head. And the judge's commentary in this is the funniest part. He says, look, I don't care about anybody or anything, but this lady now has me worried. I wasn't worried at first, but the more she keeps bothering me, the more I get worried. And here's the context that makes this grade A comedy gold to Jesus' listeners of the day. The English version says that I'm worried that her continually coming to me is going to wear me out, like wear me out, exhaust me or exasperate me. But that's not what the Greek actually says. Underneath the Greek is more slapstick. There's more physical comedy underneath. The word translated wear me out in English actually is the term they used back then for boxing. And it literally means to pop somebody in the eye and give them a black eye. So if you think about that, what the judge is saying, think of this frail widow getting after this untouchable judge so badly that, she's, that he's worried that she's going to knock him out with a right hook in the public square in front of everybody else. Or think of him walking with his family, rounding the corner in the bazaar and getting sucker punched by the old widow, <laughs> right? This is a funny idea. Or better yet, think of those old school films where there's this guy cowering in the corner while this lady beats him with a cane or with a purse, like this lady, right? Oh my God, don't hit me, don't hit me anymore. I'll give you what you want. Sure, fine, you can, I'll, I'll, I'll settle your case, right? So now imagine Jesus acting that out, that physical comedy out in a crowd of people and the riotous laughter that would ensue. The Bible is funny, it's hilarious. Like Honey the Circle Drawer and countless other biblical characters, this widow has the tenacity to stand up 
for justice and not relent until she sees it come to pass. But here's the most important thing that you need to understand. The widow who's physically threatening to harm the judge to get him to do what was right is not something we have to do with God. God isn't like that. We don't have to convince him to love us. God is happy to bring justice into our lives and give us mercy when we don't deserve it. Think about this. In that way, maybe God is a bit unjust since he spares us from what justice would inevitably send our way if we were punished the way that we should be punished. Last thought this morning. Why is it so difficult for us to see Jesus as happy, fun-loving, a good joke teller? You know, religion is the silk-lined casket of a miserable life. Religion is the silk-lined casket of a miserable life. It sounds nice and it looks nice, but it's lifeless. Life in Christ is different. It brings freedom. It brings contentment. It brings joy. It brings happiness, even when things are not that great. Christians always, as citizens of the kingdom of God, they have the unalienable right to double over with laughter at a hilarious joke and to enjoy all the good things that we have. If that idea seems like some kind of pipe dream or maybe this otherworldly idea, it's because it is. It's because our joy comes from a splendid, social, playful, kind, recreational, Trinitarian God. A God who laughs and wants us to laugh with Him and enjoy ourselves. Don't wait for the world to give you a reason to be joyful. We're surrounded by ugliness all the time. If you wait on the world to give you a reason to be happy, you're going to be waiting a long time. Instead, imagine a God smiling at you while he tells you a hilarious story that encourages you to live your life well and go after your dreams and do what it takes to enjoy yourself in this life. That's the God of the parables. That's the God of life that we serve, and that's the God that loves you. Accept no imitations. Amen.